GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. The Development and Planning Commission has given outline planning permission for an aquarium in Rosia. Kevin Rees has the details. And are there more children with special educational needs and disabilities in Gibraltar? We'll speak to the Director of Public Health, Dr. Helen Carter, Una Geary, an NHS Public Health Speciality Registrar, and Jenny Victory from the Supported Needs and Disability Office. But first, Gibraltarian Monica Popham has won the Sky Arts Landscape Artist of the Year, and with it, a £10,000 commission to display in the Science Museum. How exciting for Monica, who joins us from Guildford in the UK. Monica, what a, a, an amazing result for you, but, but I, I've just been sort of... Uh, I work in radio and television, so I know that sometimes, you know, you have to, uh, you have to keep things under embargo until it's actually released on, on TV or on radio, but, but how strange it must have been for you to have known for, for months that you've won this competition and not be able to shout it from the rooftops. I know. I do apologise to everyone who <laughs> I've like, you know, I've been like, oh, I haven't really been painting this summer, and um, like going home at Christmas, it was so difficult, and everyone was like, you know, have you managed to do as much painting since you moved to the UK? And um, yeah, I mean, I, I quit my job in December, so I've been trying to keep this front of, I'm still working, um, but actually been working as a full time artist, and I just couldn't share with anyone. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Oh, very professional of you, because I did ask you, I think, a week ago if you were hoping to be able to sort of take up art full time. And, and you said, well, it's difficult balancing it with a part time job. And I know my nose is getting bigger and bigger throughout the eight months. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to do it. No, I mean, I suppose it's a it's a contract that you that you sign with Sky Arts. It makes the the TV show engaging and, and it means that people watch it not knowing which way the result's going to go. Exactly, yeah. So um, it's been lovely to have like everyone as surprised um, and the response has been amazing. So it was all worth it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, tell us about this uh, final challenge then in Covent Garden, the one that sort of clinched the victory for you. Yeah, that was, um, it was tough because it was from um, late evening, well, late afternoon to evening. So you had that changing light and the last hour was complete darkness. Um so yeah, and obviously it was the final, so the pressure of the final, and there was only three of us, so we had so many interviews and um, screen time, and because and, you were in Comic Garden, we didn't have the pods, so you sort of like felt a bit exposed without, you know, without the pods. The pod um, is like the, the cover that they were giving you, you know, that little sort of space that you could work in and make your own. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a completely different experience than all the other heats, and you could, I definitely felt the pressure. And the judges said that you'd produced something which was quint- quintessentially English and depicted the heart of British suburbia. Yeah, I think they were. I think at that point they were talking about. Um, so in the week between the semi-final and the final, we had um, seven days to paint a commission, so we could prove what we could do um, in longer than four hours. Um, so I think that clinched it for me, to be honest. Um, that painting of um, road, the road near where we live today. And we, we talked last week about your use of colours and, and the fact that you, um, w- when you were painting here in Gibraltar, you, you'd, you'd often uh, paint something which was like drenched in sunshine and how you've had to adapt that. Um, but, um, but you've still, you've adapted your style, but, but it, 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 when I see it, it still looks like a Monica Popham. 
<laughs> if that makes yeah, sense. I think that right? was my biggest that was my biggest concern when I was on the program. I was like, I've always painted I've always painted Jib. Um how like would it be could I translate my style to a UK landscape and I think it's better to say I managed it. <laughs> and you the judges said that you'd captured like your your painting portrayed fantastic energy and i think that is yeah. like that that sort of use of light isn't it and trying to reflect that you know sort of the the saturated sunshine lit um landscape yeah definitely i mean guildford doesn't always look like that but when it when the sun is out <laughs> you do you do get that lovely light so it, it made me appreciate the uk as well um you know look at look at it through a different lens so you've won a £10,000 commission to create a landscape artwork based on the Orkney Islands. You've already travelled there and um, and you've done that picture, right? And, and it'll be shown next week? Yeah, so, so the, the painting itself is up. This, it went up this morning in the Science Museum. Wow. Um, yeah, and the, the episode was out last night, so it was straight after the final was the winner's film. But I think it will be repeated today at 7 ah, okay. p.m. jib time. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Congratulations. So, 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 so the painting's already up. How does it feel then to be an artist who's exhibited at, uh, who, whose work is on display at the Science Museum? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's crazy to think about. I mean, I don't know. I suppose I've had so long to think about it and, like, you know, um, come to terms with it. But then it feels like it's happening all over again because I'm getting to share it with everyone. So I think it won't feel real until I see it up on the wall in the Science Museum. <laughs> when when are you going to go and check it out? I'm not sure. See, hopefully. Because <laughs> you're you're in Guildford. Yeah, in Guildford, so not far from London. Um, so it'd be nice to take take the train down and and have a look. Yeah. And what were the judges like on the show? No, they were brilliant. Yeah, um, really lovely and very supportive. Um, and obviously, what you see on telly is such a you know a small amount of what they actually film on day. Um, and I remember in the, in the final, I was it was it was a, it was really stressful. The final and Ty, one of the judges, came up to me. I was like, "You have had dinner, haven't you?" And yeah, they were lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so I suppose they've been obviously part of the journey. Have they have they given you constructive feedback that you've been able to sort of build on? Yeah, definitely. Um, they've been really helpful. And when, when we were at the unveiling, I had a, like a nice chat with them all and about like what to do for the next the next few steps and. Yeah, hopefully this is the start of something really exciting. So are you now a full-time artist? I am. I am, and I can say it. <laughs> that's that's brilliant. And your age, just 25? Uh, 26. Oh. I was 26 in December, so but yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> 26, yeah. Well, still. <laughs> uh, I suppose it's been a dream of yours for years, and you've 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 already like got there at 26. I know, crazy. I mean, like we said, when I applied to the programme, I was like, we just moved to Guildford in March and I applied in May. And I thought this would give me like a, you know, a nice bit of practice to get painting. And and here we are. It's, it's uh, yeah, still pinching myself. So uh, you, you said that the judges have given you some nice sort of uh, um, tips and, and, and feedback on, on what they think um, would be some good next steps for you to take. Can you Can you share any of those with us? Um, well, mostly they were just like try and um, reach out to people and, um, you know, use your contacts and trying to get into galleries and, um, yeah, just, I mean, even their comments themselves were helpful. It gave you that, um, 
you know, that boost that you need. I think all artists sort of have a bit of a dip and they sort of think, you know, it's hard work and you think, is it worth it? And then when you get this sort of validation, it um, it, mean, it means the world. So yeah. I can imagine. Well, we've had loads of really positive comments. Um, um, our, the, the Facebook post that we did last night, um, you know, sort of confirming that you'd won and congratulating you uh, ha- has gone viral. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll just read you some of those comments. Caroline says, excellent achievement, great colours. Um, Helen says that you very much deserved to, to win. She's been following the show and she said that you won it on merit. Um, Jenny says, amazing work and uh, and also also thinks that there's so much talent here in Gibraltar for such a small place. Uh, Andrea says congratulations, uh, putting Gibraltar on the map again. And um, and Lewis says bravo, great achievement, and let's see what the future holds in store for you. Um, so galleries soon, perhaps then. Who knows? Who knows? But at the moment, I'm just going to ride ride this brilliant wave. <laughs> well. Enjoy it, Monica, um, and, uh, so and and enjoy talking about it as well after having kept the secret so well for months on end. Thank you. I'm going to become the landscape artist ball. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Are there more children with special educational needs in Gibraltar? More than there used to be? More per capita than elsewhere? Um I don't know. Uh, It's something that uh, the government is looking into. They've commissioned a report to find out why the number of children with special educational needs and disabilities in Gibraltar is going up. The Department of Education has commissioned Una Giri, an NHS um, public health uh, speciality registrar, and um, Miss Giri is doing um, some work with the Director of Public Health, Dr Helen Carter, and Jenny Victory from the Supported Needs and Disability Office to review factors linked to the increased prevalence of special educational needs among children in Gibraltar. And uh, they're also going to try and work out what possible root causes uh, are leading to this outcome. Uh, it sounds like a, a complex challenge, but uh, thank you so much to you all for, for being here to talk us through it this afternoon. Um, so let's uh, let's start with, with you, Dr. Carter. Um, uh, why has this study been commissioned? Uh, thank you, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to, to talk and discuss this this afternoon. It's been commissioned because there was a, a general feeling and observation from education colleagues, and we've worked very closely with um, the Director of Education, Kerry Scott, with Monique, with colleagues at Education, looking at that feedback, saying, have we seem to be having an increase. Uh, is that real? What's happening? What could be the causes of that? If there are causes and it is real, are any of those preventable? Hence why I was really, really pleased that um, the Minister for Education commissioned us to undertake this project. And we're very fortunate to have had Una join us uh, for two month-long stints. Um, and I'm sure Una will be able to describe a bit more in terms of the approach we've taken for the project. Please, Una. Yeah. Um, so... Essentially, as Helen said, this this project originated out of an observation by the Department of Education that the numbers of children with special educational needs are going up over time. And the first thing to say is that that um, special educational needs, it's a very broad umbrella term and it incorporates a lot of different difficulties and conditions that require extra support with learning in school. Can you give us an example of a few of them? Yeah. The more typical ones maybe? Yes. So what's come up in the project so far is that 
autism and ADHD seem to be two conditions in particular underlying um, the the increase we're seeing. So that's attention deficit and hyperactivity, hyperactivity disorder. disorder. Yes, that that's right. Um, so the the approach with the project was firstly data analysis, looking at the Department of Education's data on special educational needs, um, which showed that the percentage of all children in government-run schools in Gibraltar with special educational needs went from 20% in 2014-15 to 30% of all children in school in 2022-23. So 50% increase there. So essentially went from about 1,000 children to 2,000 children um, that over is a that nine-year period. Yeah. Um, and then it, the percentage is um, a lot higher than in the UK. It was 17% in the UK and 30% here in 22-23. So that was the first element. Then uh, I did a literature review to look at globally what are the, um, particularly in relation to autism and ADHD, the risk factors that have been established in the research. Um, And that showed there is actually a strong genetic component for both. Sure. Um, And then this time over this month long uh, visit that I've been here, it's been really about hearing from the population, from health and education professionals, parents, charities, um, making sure we we get the lived experience of the population here um, and get their views on what might be the contributing factors to this rise in numbers. So we've we've yeah had had um some really interesting findings so far um which which we can discuss. Okay. In more and yeah, let's let's bring in uh, Jenny Gomila of the uh, special needs and uh, supported needs and disability office. Um so so um as Dr. Carter said uh, the numbers were already um known yeah. and uh, and and hence the creation of the office that that that, that you lead. Um tell us about the uh, about the uh, open meeting that you had uh, on Monday. How, how did that go? So we had an open meeting on Monday um, where we put out an advert just to the general public and actually we had a very successful turnout. We had 56 members of the public turnout um, and we did ask um, as they came in who they were, just a bit of background, and we did get um, an array of people from different backgrounds. So we do, did get some parents... We got some charity members, we got people that were just interested in the subject, we got some politicians as well. Um, So it was lovely to see people from different backgrounds coming in and um, hoping to take part and successfully um, contribute um, some very insightful um, uh, observations that they have made. So um, how can people's individual experiences feed into this exercise of understanding the broader picture, Yeah, well, um, some of the themes that came out from the discussion on Monday night were... There's, there's many different social factors that are contributing to this this rise in numbers. Um, there's a lot more awareness among parents and among professionals, health and education, um, around autism, ADHD and other developmental delays. Um, there's another key reason is that better and earlier identification and diagnosis um, over time 
diagnostic criteria, particularly for autism, have broadened. So milder cases get picked up that wouldn't have been in the past. Um, and then another key social factor has been a shift in social attitudes over time. So now there's much less stigma around these conditions and other uh, and disabilities. People are much more accepting of them. And that's also been a huge factor in the rise in sure. numbers. But but all of those things would be true in the UK as well, where um, you told us that the percentage is 17% of children as yes. opposed to 30 here. So it doesn't explain <laughs> yeah. that difference, no? Um, it doesn't. Well, it, it could be that there's actually better identification happening here. Um, but it, the the numbers are on the rise in the UK as well. And prevalence of autism is on the rise globally. So it's not it's not something that's unique to Gibraltar either. Okay, and um, uh, so, so I, I suppose you have to keep an open mind as to whether um, Gibraltar, uh, something is happening here. You mentioned genetics, for example, um, with this being a, a smaller population, a smaller gene pool. Uh, you have to keep your mind open to that as well as some of the environmental factors, no? Yes. So as I mentioned in, in the research, there is a strong genetic component in, in both autism and ADHD. And that um, theory regarding small gene pool has come up um, in the session on Monday night and in other interviews. Um, we can't make any conclusions about that um, at, at this point. There are a lot of other you know, social factors, as I've mentioned, and maternal health factors are also very important. Um, you know, established risk factors um, for autism and ADHD mat include maternal overweight, use of IVF, advanced age of both mother and father. So yeah, there's a whole range of factors. It's not one, there isn't one single Sure. And and um, what my, my producer Kelly pointed out, um, she said, well, one of the things that we know is happening is that people are having children later uh, than than they used to, sort of ten, twenty years ago, and and that might be a contributing factor. No, I mean, like as a obviously you're looking at it scientifically, but uh, as a hypothesis, you know? absolutely. As as you know, for what we call developing countries, we are seeing increases in maternal age. Um, with increasing maternal age comes increasing risk, unfortunately, and increased risk and chances of potentially having IVF and the requirement for that. With IVF, there's increasing risk that you'll have twin, triplet pregnancies, more likely to be premature, uh, and then the risk associated with prematurity is around, you know, the developmental uh, delays potentially for, for children if they're severely premature. All of these factors then layer and, um, and, and sort of come together in terms of explaining some of the increases we're seeing. And uh, and when we when we look at this um, from a public health perspective, I guess it's really important to know what those numbers are doing uh, and to have that conversation and try and plan ahead. Um, are the numbers beginning? We, we've talked about uh, a significant increase. Are they beginning to plateau, or, or are the numbers going to continue to rise? I think it's hard to say at this stage, um, but we are seeing global trends increasing. Uh, it's whether Gibraltar's ahead of the curve in terms of, as we said, that better diagnosis, earlier diagnosis, whether we've seen you know, a significant increase compared to 
rate of increase in other countries. What we are trying to do, though, is is look at, you know, for the preventable factors, what can we do about that? How can we try and modify those? What can we do knowing that our maternal age is going up? Can we um, increase and improve our preconception services? So for women who are thinking about becoming pregnant, can we set up a dedicated service to enable them to be as healthy as possible going into their pregnancy? We've had a number of uh, comments which um, I'll read out to you uh, for you to to, to sort of respond to. Um, And if you're listening to this conversation and you'd like to to join it, we're on 266 200. Uh, John asks if uh, if one of the... uh, Apologies, Una, if you've already touched upon this, but John's question is, uh, could the increase be linked to poor nutrition or over-reliance on chemical medication? Are those... Uh, some of the things being looked at? Well, so it, one of the categories of special educational needs is behavioural, emotional and social development needs. And particularly in relation to behavioural and mental health problems, um, diet has has come up. Um, it's it's also a, a relevant factor for those maternal health risk factors and, and weight, obviously. Um, so yes, absolutely. Diet is, is something that's changed recently in society to, you know, there's a much more processed food high in fat sugar and salt being consumed that's that's absolutely detrimental to physical and mental health we've um we, we've had a, a message from Hector who gives us something of an insight into uh, how Gibraltar has changed, as, as, as you were talking about. He says uh, he is the father of a 34-year-old autistic person. Um, in his younger age, he had to take Hector had to take his son to the UK to be diagnosed. Uh, Hector says that the professional here didn't want to commit themselves, and um, and now he's glad to say that um, the approach has changed uh, as you. Uh, outlined um, the approach within the health authorities is different and and within society as well Mm, i think that's that's right it's the far more social recognition um and and that awareness and ability to to access services as well i think is is making quite a difference and we picked up on that Mm -hmm. on on monday night as well in terms of you know that change in societal attitudes very much there's, uh, did you want to come in on that? No, I was going to ask you, um, I think this is a question for you, Jenny. Um, uh, uh, Melody has, has got in touch, uh, not so much a question, but, uh, but um, something that you might want to uh, respond to. Uh, she says that her son has uh, always attended mainstream school, but has really struggled, and he was officially diagnosed as autistic in November, just a few months ago, and uh, the department is not sure she says, how best to proceed with his education. Um, so th- th- I suppose this is a challenge that with, with more and more um, children being diagnosed, the, 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 the Department of Education is having to assess how best to proceed. Definitely. Um, with regards to autism, it's a very large spectrum and this obviously poses a lot of problems. However, what we need to move away from, and Department of Education does this beautifully, is labels. They look at what the child needs, and it's needs-based. They don't wait for a diagnosis. So whatever needs are presented, they will tackle. Um, now in particular, the Department of Education are producing a lot of training, teachers 
very much aware, not just um, in Gibraltar, but as they qualify to become a teacher. Um, LSAs are also getting a lot more training on all of this. So the support provided now is actually a lot, lot better. I mean, it's sad to hear stories such as Melody's, um, but we are learning. We are learning from what has happened in the past. Training is a lot better. And as Una was saying, the general trend in society's attitudes is getting a lot better. We still have a long way to go, mind you, Jonathan. We have a very long way to go still, and that's part of what my office is working on. But we are getting there. It is better. Um, going back to uh, Melody's point, there are still a lot of people that do need some support. And I urge them to come, reach out to the Support Needs and Disability Office, and we will try and help you as best as possible. What's okay. the best way of... Um, so we've got liaison. an email. So S, uh, send office, S-E-N-D-O, double F-I-C-E, at gibraltar.gov.gi. Um, drop us an email and we are, we've got a team ready to jump in and help. And, okay, and no. yeah, as you said, it's needs-based, so ju- needs-based. The, the diagnosis of autism in and of itself doesn't give rise no. to um, a, a change in the educational approach. Not at all, not at all. Obviously, labels do help, but the way that the system is at the moment, it's about needs. We don't need to wait for that label, um, not just within education, but in anything else, particularly in my office too. Whatever you need, you think there's an issue, we will, are there to support, okay? Don't wait for for that diagnosis. All right. Um, Una, just to wrap up, um, where will your uh, review go next? Well, the final report is going to be complete by the end of next week. And then Helen and, and Jenny and Kerry in the Department of Education will be taking it forward to ministers, I believe. Yeah, we'll be discussing with ministers the main findings of the report and what does it mean next for future service planning in Gibraltar. So so some uh, interventions or change of policy might be recommended? Definitely, and not just within education and health, across Gibraltar, across government, across the private sector too, perhaps. What does this mean for us generally in Gibraltar, everybody, not just one particular area? So working together again, to make um, Gibraltar a better community for every single body. This is why this study has been so important. Yes, it began with education, data, looking at what's happening there, but actually the lessons learned from this are much greater and it affects everybody in this community. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. The Development and Planning Commission has given... Uh, the green light, uh, at least an outline planning permission for an aquarium in Rosia. Uh, not the first time we've discussed this project, but because it is quite eye-catching. Uh, and here with the details is Kevin Rees, who's followed today's meeting, which um, is still virtual. They're still doing virtual meetings of the DPC, Kevin. That's right, uh, Jonathan. Good afternoon. Yes, it's um, uh, um, received outline planning permission. Importantly, this is just like a first step. Uh, The project needs to come back, uh, take into consideration a number of uh, issues, um, concerns, and it needs to address it before coming to the DPC for full planning permission, which will eventually could see the construction of the aquarium. So so they can't can't, uh, start building anything yet? Exactly. This will... this will allow the the project manager, the, the the proponent, to actually start working further on on developing that idea. And there were importantly five votes in favour, five against, and it had to be approved after it was approved after the chairman used his casting vote because it is one which is a divided opinion at the DPC. The project quite an ambitious one. 
other than the display of marine life and allowing visitors and tourists close access and, you know, um, that observation, um, to be able to observe marine life at closer quarters. The plan is to partner up with universities and institutions to work on conservation, research and education. Now, this was one of the important um, aspects of the project, but it was also one of the aspects, important aspects and concerns that the Minister for Heritage and many others expressed at today's DPC meeting. Um, okay, so you, you, I asked specifically for conservation. You went on to research. I have some questions on research too. Um, so you cannot tell me uh, any specific conservation project that you would be carrying out that would assist conservation um, of species locally or in the area. You, you're just saying that you'd have the facility and then you could do it, but nothing specific planned. What was the answer to that, Kevin? Well, there was a lot of that. Not enough information. These were just ideas or being floated. This is what uh, the 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 person behind the project, the, the company behind the project wants to do. But of course, at this um, uh, initial stage um, at DPC, Outline Planning Permission, uh, it's to be expected. Um, someone cannot do the research or invest or, or partner up and sign contracts without having some sort of approval. And that was one of those um, issues because um, the... Project proponents were talking about partnering up with the likes of the University of Gibraltar. They said they'd already held a number of initial meetings and that they got the inkling. The university was very interested. Minister Cortes, of course, um, knowing very much about the university, being the Minister for Education as well, differed on that. Said it was very early to commit the university to backing the project. They also mentioned the University of Murcia and other universities in the region um, who specialised in, in aquatic and marine life-related uh, studies. Um, another aspect which is of concern was whether the project would fit within the current Gibraltar tourist product. Um, it requires large numbers of footfall people going into the area. Um, they didn't know whether this would be fitting or not. Um, concerns about... At the moment, it's not an area that is frequented by uh, a, a significant volume of tourists, well, no? Importantly... The area, yes, that was one of the issues highlighted, but the area is also very narrow. And it's also been one of the concerns that have already, that have been raised with a number of projects which have been um, proposed for the area. Of course, we've seen a number of projects being proposed for that specific area. El Roji has seen a number of ideas uh, being floated for the past number of years. And that is always one of the issues. Traffic, increasing the football, increasing the number of people um, walking around the area. Of course, the area is now one which residential. is residential, walkers, people accessing the beaches, and of course, importantly, the dog kennels, which was at the centre of another of the main concerns being proposed there. Because the project is ambitious, not just because of the project itself, but also what it proposes to do, because it's proposing to use one of the most historic buildings in Gibraltar, the Vittling, Yard, the Vittling Yard. And it was one, a word that many people in the DPC were pronouncing um, <laughs> differently this morning. I, 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 I'm... Yeah, guilty as well. I think. Well, I think we all like it's one of those uh, English words, no? The English language being what it Do is, doesn't no? sound as it as it as should when uh, you when yeah. you see it written. No? Yeah, and the Vittling Yard complex, of course, at Rosier Bay, it was completed in 1812. It formed part of the Royal Navy base and contained stores of food, water, and clothing in sufficient quantities for a large fleet. Now, the complex, of course, many might remember, was in use as a Vittling Yard until the 1980s and remained in the hands of the MOD up until the early noughties, when it was, it was, um, it, uh, when it was the government at the time demolished part of it 
um, the unique underground water tanks in 2006, which of course uh, triggered a massive national mm. debate. Yeah, yeah. Now the idea is to bring this building back to life, which everybody is backing. Everybody loves that idea. Um, have people accessing the building, but of course it needs to be done sensitively. The developers promising that any changes to the building would allow for the building to go back to its original state should the project fail. So the number there's a number of fail safes there. Um, but the concern, of course, dog kennels in there with the works going on, with um, dogs being housed in there as well. Um, how it can have a significant impact, yeah. Yep. Um, so there's a number of issues, there's a number of concerns. Another important one, the minister said, they would need to, um, new regulation and laws would be, need to be introduced into into Gibraltar in order to monitor this type of business, which would be new to Jib as well. So there's a lot up in the air. The project has received outline planning permission, which will now allow the developers to continue their research, to continue gathering information, um, to try and convince the DPC board at the next stage that this project um, should go ahead and that it could positively impact on Gibraltar, on the tourist product, and also allow our children access uh, to marine life, um, uh, bring it into education. The Nautilus Project, we're told, not a fan of the project. They did not submit any... Um, formal objections? Uh, formal objections to the project itself, but they have been in communication with many of the board members um, and uh, we're yet to hear from the Nautilus Project officially. But that's the word we had um, at the DPC today. So... Very much up in the air. Initial outline planning permission. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. In the past, we've seen the Dolphinarium project proposed for the pro for the area. Um, it didn't go ahead, and so many other similar projects. So let's see where this goes. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from one to two, getting behind the headlines, and you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.